0: Welcome to Ubaldi Report. The Indiana primary on Tuesday established Donald Trump as the Republican nominee for president heading into the general election. And once he had a solid win, and this was supposed to be Ted Cruz's Waterloo, if he lost um, Indiana, that was his campaign. Well, he lost Indiana, and within hours, Ted Cruz suspended his campaign, and then the very next day, John Kasich did the same thing. But what fueled the rise of Donald Trump? How did Donald Trump just obliterate the Republican field? Now, GOP political leaders made many promises of all kinds and in, in return during, uh, received major electoral victories that gave them control of the House of Representatives in 2010, the Senate in 2014. They won 12 governorships, 30 state houses. They have the largest Republican Majority throughout the country since 1929, uh, but yet they didn't deliver. Exit polls consistently show that the majority of majority of GOP primary voters, and sometimes it goes up to 60% in some state, feel betrayed by their leaders. They didn't just let them down; they felt betrayed by the leadership in Washington, in both the House and in the Senate. Who were many felt they were corrupted by the lobbyists, the special interest, lawyers, everything that goes against helping them. Now they did, and they were wondering. They uh, Republican leaders talk about we're going to defund Planned Parenthood. That didn't happen. We're going to um, end Obamacare. That didn't happen. They didn't stop President Obama's tax and spend um, liberalism, and they just didn't do that. This They saw that President Obama walked all over them. Now, a lot has to be said. I mean, it could go either way that no matter what the Republicans could have done, this president just doesn't negotiate like past president. He's no Bill Clinton who would negotiate with the Republicans. But that said, they felt betrayed by the leadership who promised all sorts of things and failed to deliver. But the biggest thing that... Beyond that, that goes where most um, uh, GOP primary voters had a problem, was the, is the economy. Now, we're seeing the rise of the, the uh, socialism on the, in the Democratic side, what fueled the rise of Bernie Sanders. His, his followers, a lot of college students see that they graduate college, massive amounts of debt, can't find jobs, have to go back home and live with their parents. They're just not seeing their, the economy improve especially with all the spending that has happened. Now, with Donald Trump, he's, he, he spoke against trade deals, NAFTA, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, trade deals with Europe. They're seeing that this is um, taking jobs, especially out of the Rust Belt, and sending jobs overseas. The U.S. economy is just struggling. Now, I understand we went through the sharpest um, economic downturn since the Great Depression, but historically, whenever there's a sharp decline, much like when Ronald Reagan took over the presidency, it, the economy's boomed since then. Now, the recovery by all economists and even the federal, uh, federal government has stated the economy improved, or came out of recession in June of 2009, before Barack Obama's policies really took hold. But the question is, we've never grown beyond 2%. Now, a couple weeks ago, the GDP for the first quarter is 0.5, which is minuscule. And uh, President Obama has just been um, inherited, not inherited, he's been listed as the worst president for the the economy. And the one thing that stands out is he's the only president in U.S. history never to have over 3% growth, is listed as the fourth worst president. President as the steward of the U.S. economy, so this fueled this anger by a lot of Trump supporters. A lot of them are just first-time voters. A lot of them just have high school diplomas, but they're not seeing they're not seeing jobs being created. They're not seeing their lives being created. All they see is massive amounts of debt being run up by Washington. They're not seeing their lives improved. So you can see why um, people turned to Donald Trump who railed against the very establishment that they had problems with. But then it comes like there's a different anomaly here is why did they turn to Donald Trump? You would have thought they would have went more conservative, but they turned to um, Donald Trump. Now, it's it's interesting. In a field of 17, Republican uh, primary voters chose the least conservative candidate. I mean, really, and it was only just until he decided to run for candidate, I mean, for president, and on the GOP side, that he aligned um, himself with the, on the Republican ticket. He donated uh, money to the, same, the very same Democrats who the GOP establishment is said to have caved. That is Chuck Schumer of New York, Harry Reid, the majority leader, now the minority leader, and Hillary Clinton. So it's interesting why primary voters in the GOP decided to go with the least conservative of all the candidates and that is Donald Trump. And I'm wondering if any people this is not to slam Donald Trump, it's just trying to get this idea out to everybody to talk and to discuss this is why why Donald Trump he had a simple, he was very sympathetic to a single payer system for health care dealing with Medicare he, was def- he, he really hasn't said what he wants to do with Obamacare. And he lists um, health care as one of the federal government's three main responsibilities, in which most Republicans adamantly oppose federal intervention into the health care. He, he also lists education, which Republicans lift, believe should be left to the states. He think the federal government has a role or should re- really control education where most Republicans believe that should go to the states. So it's interesting why they decided to choose Donald Trump. Now, he's, um, he supports Planned Parenthood. These are the same conservatives who rallied against the, the establishment for failing to defund it. This is regarding the, um, the abortion issues. When Planned Parenthood was caught in a, a video sting by a, by a group, I can't think of their name, talking about selling uh, fetal baby parts after an abortion. And Republicans said they were going to uh, kill it, and that didn't happen. So we still have Planned Parenthood. But the question now we have to ask is, what are Donald Trump's real views? Now, he talks about his flexibility and his freedom from political or philosophical you know, forces. And he elevates the unpredictability to his foreign policy um, doctrine. Now, this is going to be a very big election come up in um, November. What direction we go? Now, the problem is the Democrats looks like they're going to have Hillary Clinton barring anything coming out of the email scandal. Now, Donald Trump and um, Hillary Clinton have high negatives. Both of them are over 60% negative. So we're going to have a president who's really not liked by Two thirds of the American public. So the question becomes for just for Donald Trump, and I'll do another one on Hillary Clinton later when she gets the nomination, is what do we really know about um, Donald Trump? Now, if we talk on the foreign policy side, so let's just go there first. He is against free trade. He's against. Um, he said he was against NATO. We got to revisit the the the, um, the rationale for NATO in the post Cold War era. He mentioned. He would have a deal with Russia, with Vladimir Putin, who he could work for. But what does that mean, strike a deal with Vladimir Putin? Does that mean he's going to allow Russia to have um, a sphere of influence in Eastern Europe? Now, you got to remember, a lot of Eastern European countries, minus Ukraine, are members of NATO. What about the Baltic countries? They also are members of NATO. How does that portend for them? They see that many times the West has negotiated with Russia at their expense, and they spent decades under the domination of, of Russia. So what does he mean by that? What, is, what would he change differently with NATO? Many of our generals who are they're not speaking out against Donald Trump, but many of our military commanders have um, stated that NATO is a very viable link to the national security of the United States. So what would he do differently? What would he do in Asia? He talks about um, against trade, Trans-Pacific Partnership, NAFTA. And he wants to put – I know he's floated the idea of a 30% tariff on all Chinese goods. Now, the Chinese leadership looks at that. That's just um, campaign rhetoric. He's never going to do that. But let's just take him at face – let's just say he decides to do that. What would What would happen with everybody else? Now, our allies are a little nervous because they – Especially on both sides. They see the Democrats under Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders. They're all talking about different things on foreign policy. I know Hillary Clinton's a little bit more activist or more engaged, but they're seeing the American public going disengaged on the world scene. And that worries a lot of um, our allies around the world because they see a resurgent Russia, they see China. In, you know, flexing its muscles in the South China Sea. They see Iran going crazy in the Middle East, and they see the United States pulling back. So where does that leave them? That makes the world a lot more unstable than um, we've seen in the past. So what we need to know is, what does um, Donald Trump, what is his really belief on foreign policy? What is his vision? Now, his foreign policy address. A couple uh, two weeks ago, really was just kind of chaotic and all over the place. So we need to know what is Donald Trump foreign policy going to be like. Now pivoting to the economy, here's some questions: Is what is the um, how does the president? Or excuse me, how does Donald Trump plan to fix the um, the U.S. economy? He talks about the national debt. He's going to balance the the national debt, which is about twenty trillion dollars. In eight years. A lot of economists said that's impossible task. Now, he's walked that back, but how would he shape the, the American economy? How would he reduce the national debt? He mentions nothing on entitlement. It's kind of interesting. Chris Christie ran his whole campaign on um, reforming entitlements and reducing the entitlement expenditures, and Donald Trump has said nothing, doesn't even want to touch it. So it's interesting that now Dick Chris Christie supported him. So what? how does he plan on reducing the national debt where 60% goes to the entitlements, uh, Medicare, Medicaid, um, interest on the debt, and Social Security? So these are the biggest drivers of our debt. So how does he plan on doing that? What about taxes, health care? The question with um, health care is, he says he wants to repeal and replace Obamacare, but he hasn't really said what. And this is what I would say for the Democrats as well. How are you going to get this thing through when neither the, none of the president, not one president, either Clinton or Trump, who is going to be president, will have the supermajority that Barack Obama enjoyed? So the question is, how would he overhaul the health care system? And everybody needs to know, May, excuse me, November 1st, Health care is going up substantially. Even the Medicare actuary, who helped put uh, ushered in through and was oversaw the rollout of Obamacare, this was someone who was appointed by President Obama, said health care is substantially going up. So the next president's going to have to deal with all the kickers that are kicking in that were pushed off, which is the um, the Cadillac tax. All these things are making health care that much more expensive. So we need to know is what would Donald Trump do now for the economy? What would he do for tax reform? What would he do for um, small business? We haven't heard any of the candidates discuss anything revolving small business. And my list- listeners need to know this, that uh, for the first time since they've been recording, that more small businesses are leaving the economy than are coming in. And everybody needs to understand 60% of all jobs – to 70% of all jobs in America are created by small business. It's not corporate America that creates the engine of economic growth. It's small business. And many small businesses are facing regulatory burden. The, over, the, um, the Obamacare mandates, Dodd-Frank, and then all the environmental regulation that are coming down the pike from the EPA are hurting small business. So how would a, a Trump deal with this? There's a lot of issues that need to be discussed, and it'll be interesting to see how Donald Trump would do this now that he is the nominee, and he's we're about a couple, you know, ten weeks away from the GOP convention in Cleveland. Now he's got to start building this um, or reconciling with the GOP establishment. Just a day or two ago, Paul Ryan didn't endorse. Donald Trump yet, because he wants to hear where he stands on these core issues now, a lot of people just came on glue, like Jeff Sessions, the senator from I think believe Alabama was said that's a big mistake by Paul Ryan, but the question I would want to know, and I think Paul Ryan wants to know is where does um, Donald Trump stand on these key core issues that have been the hallmark of the Republican Party for decades because once he's the nominee nominee. He's resh- reshaping the Republican landscape. instead of having a conservative candidate, the Republicans decided to go with someone very liberal, a totally an unorthodox candidate that very bombastic makes these outlandish statements. So they're tied to him either way. So they want to know is where does he stand on these key issues. And that if, if they can reconcile, that means they can free up a lot of the uh, the funding that um, Donald Trump is going to need. Now, the other thing Donald Trump is going to need for his campaign, and he's very behind on this, is where does he stand on digital operations, a ground game in each of the states, especially in the battleground states? What He needs advertising. He's getting free advertising now because of his personality, but that works in a primary. In a general election, he's got to appeal to a much uh, broader base than where he has now. So how does he... How does he expand into the Latino market, which he's very has a very negative view of him? How does he attract women, which is really upside down on those two groups? Now, he must add, he's got to build up his campaign to add new people, get the talents that they have. And will he leave the ground game to the Republican National Committee? Or will he use the ground game for him his own campaign to establish? That's Something to be, we, we just don't know. Now, the question becomes of this who does he choose as his vice president? Now, because he's upside down with women and Latinos, he may be wise to pick someone like that. That's up to him. He may pick John Kasich to have somebody who has experience in Washington. And John Kasich comes from the battleground state of Ohio, being the governor there now. And he worked in the House of Representatives and helped work with Bill Clinton to balance the budget in the 1990s. So that's going to be interesting. The next uh, part of this is he needs policy advisors who are experienced, who have been there, done that, you know, especially on the the foreign uh, affairs side because allies are nervous. He needs to choose somebody that the allies can respect They understand that this person knows for, because this is going to be his vision. Whoever he selects as advising him, let's say he selects as, this is my Secretary of State. This will be my Secretary of Defense. I think Donald Trump needs to choose these individuals now, not traditionally after the election, because this would signal to the world that he's serious, he's not going to disengage from the world, and he has competent individuals running his foreign policy team. And that goes the same with his economic team. He needs to pick, I know he's a big business guy, but you need somebody that understands the economy, that understands helping small business, which I mentioned earlier, which is getting just rolled by the Obama economy. So he needs to pick steady hands who understand how these things are going. Now, he keeps saying, I'm going to make America great again. I mean, these are great campaign slogans, but he needs to translate that slogan into practical application because, remember, Barack Obama came in as hope and change. We're going to reshape everything. He reshaped everything, but American people are not liking their economy. So these are the things that he has to do. Now, as he goes into the general election, it's going to be interesting because this is the first time at least in the modern era, where you have two candidates, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, where two-thirds of the American public really don't like them, have a strong dislike. So it's going to become the lesser of two evils. Now, the advantages that Donald Trump has, he's a business guy, he really understands the economy. That's going to be a success because especially after this jobs report that came out today, people are nervous about where the economy is going. So that's his... His um, success. Now, the negative is the Democrats have an advantage, a sh- sh- big advantage with the electoral college, because some of the big industrial states or the strong you know, most populous state, like California, there's 55 electoral votes. New York, New Jersey, Indiana, I mean, excuse me, uh, um, Illinois, Michigan, uh, Maryland. A lot of these states have voted, Pennsylvania, have voted Democrat the last number of years. So the the Democrats have a big advantage. That's why a lot of the states, there's only like five to seven states that are battleground states. So the Demo, Republicans have to win Ohio, Florida, Virginia. If they can peel off a Michigan, a Wisconsin, or a Pennsylvania, some of the Rust Belt states that have been hit hard by the trade, um, these these trade deals and jobs that are outsourced. This could give an advantage to Donald Trump. So a lot of there's a lot of unknowns. We need to really know what he stands for, what are, what he believes in some of these key issues. But throughout this race, the media has been horrible. I haven't asked any of the candidates some of these top issues. So hopefully, we go forward, we can really challenge these candidates, or at least the two top leaning. What would they do? to reshape America economically and what's their vision for the United States on the international stage because we can't wait four years to get a new president if we don't like this current one. So let's encompass, let's really challenge the media to do their job and ask the Hillary Clinton and let's say it's Bernie Sanders or whoever the Democrats nominate, what is their vision for the economy? What's their vision for the U.S. and foreign affairs? And the same thing is true for Donald Trump. How does he see... What would he do with the economy and what would he do on foreign affairs and not resort to rhetorical campaign rhetoric? If you get the chance, go to iTunes and Stitcher. Let me know what you think of these podcasts. Uh, Put your questions, what you want me to research, and we'll do a podcast of what you, the most popular ones that people are looking for. Sign up, it's free. If you also get a chance, go to Amazon or any of the major book suppliers like Barnes & Noble. I have a book out called The New Business Brigade. And the premise of that book is Why Businesses Need to Hire Veterans. Again, keep listening to Ubaldi Reports on iTunes and Stitcher. Go to Ubaldi Reports on my website. You can follow me on Facebook and Twitter. And let's challenge our leaders because if we don't, we're going to get the government that we don't want and we're going to be stuck with them. Keep listening to Ubaldi reports and listen next time to the next segment. All right. Thanks a lot. Take care.